0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. Uh, I want to get into the Word this morning. Every time we get into the Word, I want it to be in- intentional. Uh, it's, it's tough to, to narrow down the things that, that are to be spoken on occasion. And, and it's real easy to start to get a feel for what maybe you would like to do or what you would like to say. But ideally, you need to find out what you're supposed to say. you know. So most of the time in any preparation, I'm asking God, Father, what would you speak to us today, this week? What, Where where do we need to go in your word? What is it that you want to give to us? What is it that you want to bring to us? And, and there was a real specific... A direction. Now, this isn't meant to, to be spoken to cause any concern or any alarm, but it was a, the direction was mental health. Now, it doesn't mean you're all nutty, right? So, rest easy there. But I really think it's a big deal. And when you look in the scripture, you can see mental health is a major issue. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things in the scripture concerning mental health. God's very interested in your well-being and in your mental health. You can look for the word mind throughout the scripture. It's in there quite a bit. So God is very interested in our mental well-being. I want to get into the scripture this morning and I want to take a look at some things that God has done, is doing, and promises to do concerning our mental well-being. Here's a few things we're going to find as we get into the scripture here. Uh, What God gives us mentally. Uh, It's an important thing to to recognize that. I mean, even when we're, we're, we're praying, we recognize God as a giver of gifts. That's a great thing. We have to recognize that God is a rewarder. According to the scripture, it's one of the things that we're encouraged to do as we walk out our lives in faith. But to know that God rewards or that God gives specifically to your mental well-being is, a, is an encouragement. In fact, it, it gives uh, not just encouragement, but it gives instruction and direction uh, to pursue that gift so that it can be embraced and, and lived out. Another thing that we're going to find is where we're all being directed. No matter what, we're being directed. God's spirit is leading us and guiding us. Remember Jesus, his identity as the good shepherd. Shepherd is always out in front leading. We're being directed in a direction. We're being directed to a location. And there's a place that we're being directed in any moment, at any time. A third thing we're going to find is the key to seeing God move in our situation. Now, when I just say in our situation, you can fill in the blank. I mean... There's a number of things in my life where I'm wanting to see God move in power. I'm I'm, I'm praying and and seeking God to do things uh, in in certain areas. I always want to see God uh, in marriage and family moving and and his will being carried out uh, in in ministry and in fellowship and and in the business world, the marketplace. I always want to be in the midst of God's will. Well, there's some keys in the scripture to seeing God move on your behalf in those things. And I think it's important to note those things to make sure that they're a part of our lives. So I want to open up here with a passage of scripture. I mentioned before we're going to find what God gives us mentally. I want to find that right now. If you have your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1 is where I want you to turn to. We're going to look at verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to find what God gives us mentally here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it reads like this For God has not given us the spirit of fear but rather power, love, and sound mind. Now, you could turn this into a series about, you know, being free from fear and anxiety. You could turn this into a series about power and love and soundness of mind. But today I want to emphasize the idea that God is giving us soundness of mind. Now, I think it's really intentional that this passage of Scripture would be worded the way that it is. That it opens up with what God's not giving, but rather He's giving us this Uh, in its place. So when I see that God's not giving us fear, that reveals something to me, that any kind of fear and anxiety in my life is not a result of, of God's work bringing it into my life. Rather, God's work is driving those things out of my life. Remember, God is love, and according to the scripture, perfect love casts out all fear. Now, as God is bringing this into my life, He's doing this through three things. He's responding to this fear and anxiety through the impartation of power, the impartation of love and the impartation of soundness of mind. And when I get to the part of soundness of mind, I just have to stop and ask, you know, what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to have sound mind? I don't use the word sound in my day-to-day vocabulary, you know. If, if I get a phone call and somebody says, you know, how are your boys behaving? I don't say they're behaving soundly. I, I mean, I just don't use that word. I don't even know if I'd be using it right if I said it that way. It's just not a word that's in my everyday vocabulary. So when I consider understanding what soundness of mind means, I need to come into an understanding of what the word sound means. I mean, for something to be sound is for something to be in its correct position. For something to be sound is for it to be right. For something to be sound is for it to be stable. And it's really amazing to me that God is bringing stability of mind into my life. And then it's placed on the same plane as power and as love. I've grown up in in church and and in wonderful spirit-filled communities and have heard message after message on the love of God. I've heard message after message on the power of God. But in this passage of Scripture, on the same plane as you would see both power and love, you'll see stability of mind. That tells you where God prioritizes your thought life. It's really important. So I want to talk about soundness of mind this morning, and I want to take a look at what it means to have a stable mind. I want to take a look at what God's doing to bring that into our life, and then the results that we should expect. I mean, it's one thing to just have our Bible IQ increased, to come into knowledge of a few passages of Scripture, but it's another thing to be equipped to actually do something intentionally to get a good result. And that's really where I want us to be today by the time we're finished with the Word. Uh, I want to go to a passage of Scripture in the book of James. James chapter 1. Now, uh, I'm always tempted to read way too much. Now, this is me showing my, my pastoral clay feet a little bit. You'll come to a passage of Scripture that you know needs to be included into, into the notes, and you'll begin to look at the context, the things that come before, the things that come after. And because the Word of God is so rich, oftentimes you'll see something and think, wow, that's so important, that needs to be included too. And before you know it, you're going to be saying, uh, let's just go to James chapter 1, we're going to read the whole chapter, you know. But there's one passage of scripture here, one area that I want us to emphasize. I want to read an area that's a little bit larger than that, but we'll make sure and point out the area of emphasis when we get there. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Now, I want to pause there, and I want to let you know why this is included in the notes. It's included in the notes because it's liberating to me to read that it's normal to have issues. I mean, this, the Bible doesn't say, hey, listen, if you find that you're having troubles, if you find that you're having problems, if you find that you're having trials, as the, the word uses there... It doesn't say, hey, if you have trials, then, you know, you need to rethink your life. It's saying, no, trials are normal. You're going to have trials. There's going to be issues. There's going to be challenges. Now, here's how you need to think when you enter into those challenges. Consider this an opportunity. Consider this joy. This is where endurance comes in. And then endurance produces something great that leads to this lack of nothing, as the Bible would put it, perfection. So as we see that we're going to have trials, there's going to be issues, there's going to be challenges, we'll begin to see now what God calls us to do when we face those things. And your perspective mentally is very important. Verse 5 reads like this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, it means knowing what to do, let him ask God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, he needs to ask uh, in faith without doubting, for the one that doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That individual ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. That's a lot of, of reading there. But if we were to take that passage and begin to dissect it in smaller pieces, it's got a lot of content to it. I mean, one, you're going to have issues and challenges, and then two, we're given instruction in what to do. We're told to have this perspective that is is joyful. When I encounter challenges, it's very rare that my default is joy. I mean, when things go wrong, very rarely it's like, all right, we got issues today, most of the time, you know, it, it's deep sigh. It's, oh my gosh, how much worse could this get? I mean, it's, it's, it's something negative, something more carnal. But yet the scripture is instructing me to be joyful. That's not natural. That means I need to follow these instructions in order to get where I'm called to be in this situation. Well, the idea that I'm supposed to be joyful is, is founded upon the idea that in the end, I'm going to be better than I am right now. To endure is to open up the door for that victory that leaves perfect and lacking nothing. As we overcome things, we become better. Really and truly, the world would try to say this in in a poetic way by saying something along the lines of, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I don't necessarily adhere to that as if it is canon and it's the scripture, but yet that's what they're trying to communicate. The scripture is revealing to us that when trials come into our lives, we can consider this an opportunity to become better. We can consider this an opportunity to see things that need to go, go, and see things that need to come, come. And then we're given this instruction in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now, I don't think that James, as he's writing this, is just getting a little bit ADD. I don't think that he's writing a message on how to handle trials and then decides he wants to start preaching about wisdom. I think he's talking about knowing what to do in your trials. Hey, I'm facing trials and hardships here, things that I didn't expect to happen are happening, and I don't know how to handle it. I need to ask God, how do I handle this? Now, this is another thing to consider. Most of the time when I encounter trials, my default is not joy, And then my first response isn't always, God, what am I supposed to do? Sometimes it's panic and it's trying to take matters into my own hands. I mean, it could be a number of different things. Sometimes it's carnal reaction. You hit me, I hit you back. I mean, sometimes, and I don't mean like I'm a physically violent guy. I'm using that as an example. But sometimes those things are not the instruction that we have in the Scripture. And the Scripture is directing us in a specific way. When we encounter problems, it's good to develop the discipline to stop and ask God, what am I supposed to do? God, what's your solution to this? If I can't find solution... With, with this challenge or this situation, this challenge or this situation is going to produce hardship that will be destructive to everything that you've called me to, to raise up, everything that you've called me to build, to my household, my wife, my children, uh, my, my fellowship and ministry. This challenge needs attention, and I don't know what to do. If I jump in and do it my way, I might make it a thousand times worse. I'm stopping to ask you, what should I do? It's a good discipline to develop. And now once you have this discipline developed, there's a a remainder of the Scripture that needs to be recognized for the purpose of putting it to practice. And it's a, a measure of expectation. When you ask God for those things, to give direction, to give counsel, to give instruction, the Scripture says that the request needs to come with faith. And without doubting, that tells me something right there. I want to just stop, that the enemy of faith is going to be doubt. If I need to ask, in faith, without doubting, I can see what two things are going to be at war here in this circumstance. And now what do you do with doubt? Well, it's first good to recognize what doubt does to you in order to recognize how dangerous doubt is. When you read this passage of Scripture, you can see that doubt creates a situation where somebody is, and now this is an example, uh, driven like the surf of the sea, tossed around like the waves or, or, or moved like by the wind. Basically, you're in a situation that's absolutely out of control. Subject to outside influence. The wind is what pushes the water. The wind is what drives the the items floating around on it. It's about having no anchor, no direction in and of your own ability, but rather being moved by outside influences. We are called to stand upon the rock who is Jesus Christ. We're called to be anchored, not driven by outside circumstances, not led by other things, But rather, we have been given, through the Holy Ghost, self-control. And when we see that doubt opens the door to be led by outside influences, I now become aware of why my enemy is so committed to bringing doubt into my life. If doubt can be sown into my life, I can be driven by outside influence. If doubt can be sown into my life, I can be affected by the voice of the unbeliever. I can be affected by the voice of the world. I can be affected by the outside influence that would attempt to drive me away from the things of God and drive me in to the corruption that exists in this world. Doubt is a dangerous thing. And then look at the result of doubt. That if any man uh, doesn't uh, walk in this faith, he ought not expect to receive anything. I mean, it closes the door for provision. And then it identifies this in verse 8 that being double minded, this individual is unstable in all of his ways. Now, I would think that he would be unstable half the time, right? But, but if you're unstable half the time in this situation, you're never stable. And I want to live a life that is stable, I don't want to live a life that is a roller coaster. I don't want to have joy and depression, joy and depression, joy and depression. God paid the highest price for me to have the joy of Jesus Christ. I want that consistency that God has called us to, and I can see that that soundness of mind or that stability of thought is where the work is being done. So if I find myself in the position of being double-minded, opening up the door to being unstable all the time, subject to outside influence, outside circumstance, outside situation. I find myself in a very dangerous place and I want to to be delivered from this place. So then the question is, how do you do that? I want to give you a passage of scripture here from James chapter 4. I want to look at verses 6 through 8. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore now to God, resist the devil, the devil will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now here's where I want the attention to be given. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Interesting to me that two things are, are given here. You know, obviously you've got an issue of sin and then the issue of doubt. Now in dealing with the issue of sin... Uh, The call is to cleanse your hands, be careful what you touch, touch what's clean, don't touch what's unclean. I mean, this is a a metaphoric instruction in order to address or deal with the issue of sin. Then we're given the issue of doubt. And what's really interesting to me is that the scripture doesn't say, purify your mind, you double-minded, but rather it says, purify your heart, you double-minded. That to address the issue of doubt in my life, the going back and forth and back and forth, and the roller coaster that doubt introduces, the instability that doubt introduces, that the work needs to be done not just in the brain, but in the heart. And this really hits home for me. I've I've had a number of issues within marriage, and I won't divulge details that would be uh, uh, overexposure, but situations where there were, were repeated issues of conflict. Good days, bad days, good days, bad days, so to speak. And I remember my wife pulling me aside and I would keep giving the same, you know, thing and, and you know, it would be the, the honey, I'm sorry, I know I did that. I'm so sorry that was wrong. I, I shouldn't have said that or, or whatever. And, and, you know, it, I'll work on that. Is basically the best thing that a man could come up with. That basically means I don't have a clue is what that means but I just don't want to be in the doghouse. But think about that. Now, that would put me in this situation in the place to put to practice James. Hey, this is an opportunity to get better. I'm going to consider it joy that right now my wife wants to hit me with a frying pan. And and I'm going to consider this joy, and I'm going to to give an opportunity for perseverance to, to... produce a result that makes my life better. I don't have a clue what to do, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask God, what am I supposed to do? Now, in this situation, the voice of the Lord came uh, through my wife. She made a comment to me, and it's a comment that at the time I thought was was uh, really intense, but now I see it's not intense. It's correct. She said, this isn't a, a an issue uh, of Of being tired. It's not an issue of being stressed. This isn't an issue of what you deal with at work or what you deal with over here. This is an issue of your heart. And when she said that, you know, of course, my my first thought is, you know, uh, I, I don't really know how to interpret that. I'm just wanting to get this done as quickly as I possibly can and come out with minimal damage. But I start thinking about this and I'm realizing this is absolutely right. Here I am, wanting to say it's outside influences. I'm now being driven by the people I work with. I treated you poorly because of the people I work with. I treated you poorly because I'm tired. I treated you poorly because I'm stressed. I didn't treat you the way you deserve to be treated because of outside influences. That should tell me I'm being driven by outside influence. I am like the surf of the sea. I am like that which is being driven by the wind. I am double-minded. Something inside of my life is now being ruled by doubt and needs to be addressed. And that issue would be in the heart. When my wife made the comment to me, she said, this isn't an issue of circumstance. This is an issue of your heart. And basically what she said is that your behavior isn't conditional upon all other circumstances lining up. Your behavior is meant to be stable no matter what circumstances you face. She's absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I can see that that's what God's doing. That's what he's calling. That he's calling us to to be free from that instability, from being driven by the outside influences. And if I want to get rid of double-mindedness, according to this passage in James chapter 4, it's going to mean purifying my heart. In that situation, I, I took that passage of scripture and began to seek the Lord, you know, in my prayer life. that would just open with a simple prayer like, Father, purify my heart. Will you reveal where the impurity is, where, where the open door is for, for this anxiety to cause me to, to be inconsistent in my behavior? Where I could be Romeo one day and I could be, you know, uh, the devil the next day. This is a real challenge and a real problem. But to introduce this stability and consistency is going to require this work in the heart. And the scripture begins to to paint a very clear picture. Throughout the scripture you'll see that God looks on the heart. That God is at work in the heart and for good reason. Because to purify the heart is to close the door to double-mindedness, to shut off the influence of those outside things attempting to persuade or affect our behavior, our attitude, our actions, so that we can live the stable lives, the consistent lives that we've been equipped and called to live. I mentioned to you before we're going to find where God is directing us. I want to give you that passage now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to read verse 5, 2 Thessalonians 2, 5. It reads like this. May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God and into the stability of Christ. What an interesting thing. That I am being led by my King Jesus. May the Lord direct your heart. My heart is being led into the love of God. Where God's love drives out anxiety. God's love drives out fear. And into the stability of Jesus Christ. Now you could identify these things as two separate things. You could identify these things as, as uh, two things that we're being led into. You know, may the Lord lead you into one, the love of God. And two, the stability of Christ. Or you could see this as cause and effect. Now may your Lord Jesus Christ lead you into the love of God. Resulting in the stability of Jesus Christ. The love of God affecting your thoughts, filtering everything going in and coming out. The love of God affecting your words, filtering everything coming out. The love of God uh, filtering your ears, filtering the words that would come in. That you not be provoked by outside provocation, but that you stand steady and firm. That you have the stability of Jesus. The love of God having an impact on my heart producing stability. The stability that can stand firm unshaken. And I think it begins to make other passages of Scripture make perfect sense. I mean, passages of Scripture that just fall in the category of poetry if we don't realize what it is that God's doing in our lives. A passage like Proverbs 17.3, it reads like this, The refining pot is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord refines hearts. He's purifying hearts. That's what refining is getting rid of impurity so that what remains is pure. The Lord is refining my heart so that I won't be double minded, so that I won't be subject to being driven by circumstance, because God knows this world is filled with circumstance that would love to influence our words, love to influence our actions, love to influence our attitudes. But yet we've been called to be stable, we've been called to be steady. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here, an example from the scripture. We're, we're closing with this. It comes from Daniel chapter 3. I have young sons, my, my twin boys, 13 years old, and, and we've had conversation recently about choices and decisions. And one of the conversations that we've had is a conversation that I believe in wholeheartedly, and I believe no matter what your age is, this is a, a true and, and necessary conversation. Uh, uh, element to bring into your life and it's know your answer before you're ever asked the question know what you're going to say when compromise is offered to you so that you are not tempted to compromise now in their case it's it's things like like drugs and things like sex it's things that are in the world that will be presented to them they need to know their answer before the situation is presented To not know your answer, to not have that conviction already established, is to give opportunity for compromise. You could still make the right decision, but the jury's out. And it opens the door for the influence of peer pressure and other things to prevail. But an individual can be completely equipped and strengthened to prevail in in times where compromise is an option, by already having their conviction established in their heart. And I think there's a passage of scripture that embodies this. I think there's a passage of scripture that that encapsulates this, not just for history and good reading, but for example. In Daniel chapter 3, you'll you'll see the the history of three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three individuals are living in a time where they're captured and taken to a foreign land. And in this foreign land, there's a king and a king establishes an idol. Now the idol is a tremendous display of wealth and power. It's about 90 feet in height and about 9 feet wide, solid gold. And I almost thought, you know, I ought to calculate what the the value would be. You know, at at about $2,000 an ounce, what would that be? And I decided, it's just a lot. (laughs) Tremendous display of wealth and power. And the king is so filled with pride over this display that a declaration is made. Every time the music plays, everyone across the land must bow and recognize my power and worth. It wasn't about worshiping a statue of gold. It was about worshiping the king himself. And the penalty for not bowing was death. And and not a gentle death, but to be thrown into the fire, into the furnace. I mean, it was to involve suffering and pain, torment. And and so as the music would play and everyone would bow, to keep the story short, three people stood. And those three that stood were identified, and they were brought before the king. The king was angry, and he... He flexed his his political muscle one more time in a display of arrogance saying, I'll give you one more shot. When the music plays, you bow. If you don't, it's the fire for you. And then something magnificent happens. Now this is where I want to end the paraphrasing and I want to read the passage. Once the king makes this final offer, you can save your lives if you'll just compromise right now. This is the answer given by these men. Daniel chapter 3, this is specifically verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king, we do not need to give an answer. I want to stop right there. This is a translation issue, right? We do not need to give an answer, but yet they give an answer. Better translation would be, we don't even need to think about it. We don't even need a minute to think, we already have our answer. We had our answer before we were ever brought into this room. We had our answer before you ever lit the flames in that furnace. We had our answer before you ever asked the question. We had that conviction established long before the opportunity for compromise was ever set before us. We don't even have to think about it. And then here's their established answer. Here's their conviction. Here's their soundness of mind on display. Not being pushed by outside influence. The influence that would result in suffering and torment and death. Not being led by that influence, but being led by the stability of their soundness of mind, they said. No matter, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace. And able to deliver us out of your hand. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Pretty amazing thing. And it's hard for me to read it. I've got maybe a little bit of a vivid imagination without picturing the conviction on their face and the stability of the tone in their voices. I don't think there was an ounce of fear in those words. I don't think there were cracking voices and trembling hands. I think it was understood. We've had this answer long before we were ever asked this question. We're not going to do it. And they said something that I think needs to be noted. Acknowledging God's able. God's able to deliver. God is able to bring us through this. And even if he doesn't, We're not going to do this. That that one area right there to me is is the pinnacle of sound thinking. And and I think it's something that we ought to evaluate our, our lives and look for. And it's those two words, even if. I want to live my life as an even if thinker. Let me tell you what thinking is in the world. The world will think, what if? What if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't deliver? Now think about those words for a second. First of all, what if is a question. And it's a question that opens up the door for doubt to flood in. Well, if he doesn't show up, you'll burn in the fire. If he doesn't show up, you'll be bound. If he doesn't show up, you'll be beaten. If he doesn't show up, you'll fail. What if opens the door for outside influence to push and shove you in the direction that the world would desire you to go. But even if... Is not a question at all, even if is a statement. Not opening up the door for outside influence to push and shove, but standing firm, even if this conviction is established right here in my heart and it's not going anywhere. Even if I want to live an even-if life. I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we begin to, to, to dismiss and That passage of Scripture is out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And it's a a passage from what we refer to as the Beatitudes, as Jesus is is speaking of the kingdom of God. He says something really amazing. And it's something that that would sound like the bar is being set high for, for a pursuit of a life of holiness, but rather he's simply revealing the result of the work of God in our hearts. That as God begins to work in our hearts, purifying our hearts, ridding our lives of double-mindedness, that which makes us unstable all the time, a really wonderful and powerful result takes place. Jesus sums it up like this in Matthew 5 verse 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. What's really amazing, these men that stood with conviction, that weren't led by outside influence, that didn't open the door for doubt with questions like what if, but stood firm in their conviction with the statement like even if, the result was to see God move on their behalf. In fact, not only did they see God move on their behalf, but those in the room did. When they were cast into the fire, the king gazed into the flame, and he said, how many guys did we throw in there? It was three, right? But when I look into the fire, I don't see three. I see four, and the fourth one is like the Son of God. It's the power of the purified heart to see God move, the power of a heart that has been washed clean of double-mindedness. So there's no room for doubt to open up the question, what if? But we stand firm upon the truth and live a life of even if. That is the mental stability and the soundness of mind that I believe we're called to as believers. And to put it on the same plane as you would the power of God or the love of God is to give it its proper place. That as much as God has paid the highest price to bring His love into my life, as much as He's paid the highest price to bring the power of God by the Holy Ghost into my life, He's paid the highest price to bring stable thinking into my life. That I'm not being subject to doubt, but that I stand firm, unshaken, Living a life of even if and closing the door to what if. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. There are a number of areas in my life where I want to see God move. And it doesn't matter the size or the scope. Sometimes we can read the history of men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and because of of. The, the dramatic and theatrical size of that event, that it would involve kings, that it would involve life or death situations. We would say that, that this example is reserved for these elite circumstances. But don't be deceived by the size or the scope or the theatrics. God is giving us an example that no matter how big the issue, your convictions open the door for Him to move on your behalf. That's the life of faith that we're called to. A life free and liberated from the double-mindedness, the doubt that would lead us astray and lead to instability. But rather that call to function in soundness of mind, to be pure in heart and to see God move in any situation, no matter what its size, is the call that's been placed upon our lives. That's the example And I want to trust and I want to ask for that example to have a powerful effect on those who are present here in the room. I mean, it's a story that I'm sure everyone in the room has read before, been familiar with, but yet today I would ask God, will you do something new with this history for each one of us? Let it have an impact on us in a new and greater way that that we would perceive things in in a more accurate and clearer way, that we would walk uh, deeper in what is true that we would be less influenced by the vanity of the world and that we would be greater in our being equipped in the things of your kingdom. I want to pray this morning. I want to ask God to do that. There's no more profound or powerful minister in the room than the Holy Spirit himself. And I want to ask for God to do a work in our hearts, in our minds, in every aspect of our living to be a people free from double-mindedness, a people of conviction There where you stand, you're welcome to be in a a mindset of agreement or receiving, however you choose. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for paying the highest price to bring stability of thought into our lives. We stand together now to receive from you a work by your spirit. United by the name of Jesus Christ. Bound together by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We desire to see your work be carried out in our lives. That our hearts be laid bare before you for the purpose of being purified. That double-mindedness and the resulting doubt would have no room in anyone present in this room as you would begin to purify our hearts. Let past hurts and wounds that would affect how we perceive the present be healed. Let fear and anxiety and doubt melt away as we would have the truth set right before our eyes. Let it be completely embraced in our thoughts and let what is true filter all of the influence that would attempt to come into our lives from the outside and only let what is true remain. Deliver us from the question what if and establish us in the statement even if. Let us be a people of conviction who are devoted to standing firm to see you move on our behalf. And let it be evangelistic. Let there be signs and wonders and miracles of deliverance that would testify of your goodness and draw men, women, and children unto you. We give you thanks. And we celebrate the call to stable thinking and surrender our minds to you for that stability to be imparted with every gentle, kind, loving word that you would bring into our lives. We bless you and we thank you as we receive from you, let that transformation be effective. Let it be permanent and let it be imparted to those around us that freely as we've been given this wonder, let it be distributed in and through our lives to those around us. We bless your name and we thank you. We rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in your presence. We rejoice in your faithfulness. We rejoice in your hand moving on our behalf. We rejoice in the results of your work. Let them bring you honor and glory. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name and all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.